Welcome to Rock Candy. Yo, what's up? <laughs> Ooh, switching up. <laughs> a little bit. It's a weekly podcast bringing you sweet amber treats of tales from the infamous world of music. Amber treats? Sweet amber. You'll, you'll understand when I start talking about the, an- oh. the album St. Anger. Anytime somebody says something about amber, my, my head instantly goes to Jurassic Park. Oh, because of the mosquitoes yeah. stuck in the amber. I don't know why. That's, anyway, I'll continue. Let you, I'll let you have it. <laughs> continue. No, sorry, I ruined it. your intro. I'm sorry. No, it's never ruined. It just made it better. <laughs> we are your two drunk host ladies. I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. And today we are continuing our Metal Mania month as we conclude our story of Metallica. I don't know. Still, still with the guitar solos. Oh, you did it this time. I did. I did. Okay, Jeff. It's like it's all right. It's all right. And uh, not much pairs as well with this episode as the unseasonable master of pumpkins by Trogues Brewing. Oh my God! You said it right. Did I fucking do it? You said it right. I fucking. It's it. All right. Thanks for listening. (laughs) We're done here. Got it. (laughs) I got it. So I've been trying to say Trogues for the past couple months. That's all this podcast has been about. Troegs. Troegs. It's fucking Troegs. It's Troegs, Ashley. Say it right or pay the price. I'm <laughs> Budnick. <laughs> I didn't have cable growing up. <laughs> but you know that. I don't. Don't ask me. I don't know. It's salute your shorts. Salute your shorts. Yeah, salute my shorts. <laughs> I'm gonna. Lots of Metallica shit to get to, so uh, I'm going to dig right into it. First of all, I do want to thank my friend Maria for helping me research this, because I have to admit, the latter part of Metallica's career, I haven't really followed as intensely. Yeah, me either. So she found a lot of articles and interviews for me to look at and be like, oh, so that's what you've been doing. Good. And I, I have to say, I have a feeling... We're going to be talking a lot of shit about Lars Ooh, yeah. in this episode. So I'm going to preface this by saying that while I was driving here, I was listening to the Black Album again. Yeah. And Enter Sandman still has one of the best drum solo intros of yeah. any song that gets you pumped. ever made. It is so good. It is real good. So, th- so thank you, Lars, for that drum solo. Thanks, Lars. You're, you're, we're gonna talk are, a lot of shit about you. There, there no. are some, there are some not so great drums coming up. So <sighs> yeah, then I put on the uh, Saint Anger Woof. album because I haven't listened to it. Woof. And um, yeah, I got through about three quarters of the first song, and I was like, oh no, <laughs> oh. See, oh, I was fine no. with Saint. Well, I wasn't. I, I could listen to all Saint Anger. Lulu is a different story, but we'll get to that. I didn't even know that album existed until very recently i'm gonna keep it that way yeah oh and i'd also like to make a retraction from the last episode i said that metallica didn't do drugs but apparently both lars and kirks were in love with the coco oh yeah that's right because lars actually pretty recently what by recently i mean like 10 2000s. years ago yeah ish went to rehab for a coke addiction yeah. he absolutely did huh and i know kirk when he got into yeah, and Kirk too, and when he got into his spiritualism in the late mid to late nineties, he lost his he dumped his cocaine addiction when he got really into that. I mean, good for them. Yeah, I mean, coke it's fine. Although apparently Kirk said he tried heroin once or twice to smoke it, and he said he didn't like it. So I mean, okay, that's that's all right. It's good. You have that's to draw good. a boundary somewhere, <laughs> and I like that. That's where you drew I'm, your boundary. I'm glad the boundary is at heroin. 
I guess. I mean, what do you think is worse? Worse? With worse? Worse? You <clears throat> sound like me when I try to say wreaths. Wreaths. <laughs> I can't say it. Wreaths. It's wreaths. Wreaths. Fuck. <sighs> when we last left our boys, it was the turn of the century, and aside from getting the business about some new hairstyles, things were going pretty good. Pretty they good. still had a couple successful albums. Oh, no, yeah. No, they were doing pretty good. The last four years of the 90s saw an album coming out every year. They were touring. Those were going really well. And by all accounts, the ship seemed to be sailing at a nice, steady pace. They were really, at that point, the biggest rock band. Oh, yeah. Modern rock band. Yeah. And, and you know, regardless of what had happened with Load and Reload, people were still all about them. Yeah. It was great. But predictably, shit was looking to take a hard left turn. Yeah. Yup. <laughs> Napster. Oh, Napster. Let's talk about Napster. Alrighty. First, I need to start off with a little, little fore, foretelling story here. Is Metallica was sought out by Tom Cruise himself specifically to do a song for the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack. Like, seriously, he took Lars out to the set so he could get a good idea of what the movie was about and help him write the song. And Lars and Tom Cruise hung out for the day. Oh, my and God. And I want you to picture Tom uh, Cruise I, I and am. Lars hanging out for a day. I am. And you know what I'm picturing? Terribleness. Two very tiny men <laughs> walking around a movie set. Talking about how fantastic they are. Yeah. Yeah. And they're... They're receding hairlines and their shoe lifts. They're like, we're five foot seven. No, you're you're not. not. You're five two. (laughs) Stop it. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. Shrink gracefully. (laughs) So in 2000, they recorded the song I Disappear for just that. But before it was completely finished and released, they were told that the song was being played on the airways and they had no idea how this was even possible until they discovered the peer-to-peer file-sharing network known as Napster. I very much remember using Napster. Oh. You know, I was more of a Kazaa person. I used Kazaa and after Audio the, Galaxy. Yeah, after Napster went down the shitter, kind of, um, I started using Kazaa. I mean, who didn't have like 17 different yeah, cause peer-to-peer file-sharing networks? Because then after that, I used uh, Ares or whatever it was called. And oh, then, yeah. Um... Then torrents came in. Oh, and torrents are confusing, but it's what we got to work with now. Right. Uh, Well, so upon this discovery, they found out not only was their new single on it, but their entire catalog. All right. This is where things get a little complicated. So first I'm going to give you the facts, and then I'm going to give you the feels. Okay. So on April 13th, 2000, Metallica sues Napster for copyright infringement unlawful use of a digital audio interface device, and racketeering. This is spearheaded by none other than Lars, who brought it to the U.S. District Court for Northern California. He argued that Napster was enabling people to download MP3s of their songs freely, and they were looking for a minimum of $10 million in damages, basically $100,000 per song illegally downloaded. What? Which... Does that make it only like 10 songs? I'm really bad at math. No, that's like 100 songs, isn't it? You're asking me to do math. math right now. We have determined that we are both fucking terrible at math. And we're drinking, which makes <laughs> us worse at it. 
This should be an easy equation, but I'm not, I'm not no, fucking doing no. it. It's, it's, it's all lot. zeros and ones. Why it's can't we do this? It's, it's a, a lot. lot. It's a lot. So on top of that, they hired a network consulting firm to monitor Napster's activity for a weekend. This resulted in them coming up with a list of 335,435 users. It's fucking weird. It's a very specific number. And they were sharing Metallica's songs illegally. At this point, Metallica demanded their songs be banned from the service, as well as the users on the list. Of course, the internet is a resourceful place, and quite soon after most users were back online, thanks to software that altered the Windows registry so that they could just go on using a different screen name. This may be a really stupid question. I'm fully prepared to sound like a fucking idiot right right now. But, okay, so... Were there laws put in place already? No. That made made it so that in order to possess this music, well, you had to have paid for it. This is what I've always been confused by because they're suing Napster for sharing right. this stuff. But don't think Na- Napster had these songs in their possession in the first place right. to, to begin sharing them. So... If somebody already paid for this music, right? I mean, what's the Can difference they between it freely? Right. What's the difference between sharing it through Napster and giving somebody well, a burn CD? And there was there was a similar suit of sorts years before this about basically I think it, I want to say Sony, but I could be wrong. But basically, trying to determine if recording a movie off of the TV on VHS was the same as stealing. And which we did all right, the time we when did. we were kids. Right. So there's there's weird gray areas in a lot of these laws. And I don't think I don't think anything was in place. To be honest, I didn't look too deep into this because after right. doing I, a little I bit of this research. I fully figured you probably didn't know the answer. But it's just a question that I've always no. had that I I never fully understood how even... they could sue Napster for this. Right. You know, it it just didn't really make sense to me. Right, and I think it's that, I think it's the mass distribution. Understood. I think it's different than letting your friend borrow your cassette and you record it from one cassette to the other cassette. Or like taping something off the radio. Exactly. I think it's more along the lines of you're getting these crystal clear copies mass distributed, I'm assuming. Yeah. I don't know exactly, and honestly, like, doing this... I think in the future we will definitely do a Napster digital music episode because this is very, very deep, very confusing. And I guess in a way, I mean, they could sue them because in a way they're they're losing money by one person sharing this album with 20 other people. Right. It's because those 19 other, 20, 19 other people aren't buying the album. They're just taking it. So I guess that's where they're coming from on this and there are arguments to be made but you know that's we're in the facts we're not in the feels yet another part of the suit actually included three universities that they held accountable for allowing students to illegally download the music so there were some universities i know yale uh university of illinois and i think um northern california it was a california university as well but how how are the universities i I think this is such a I don't, again, I didn't go too deep it's into the convoluted. court case. It's I think because this nature of music sharing is so fresh and so new, no one understood how to handle it. And I guess at and that no point... no one knew who to blame. And there weren't laws in place already over right. it for 
them to sue them specifically for. Exactly. So, I don't... But they had to sue him for something, I guess. I guess. So, in March 2001, federal judge Marilyn Hall Patel issued a preliminary injunction in Metallica's favor that mandated Napster must have all Metallica songs wiped from his service within 72 hours or be shut down. And that summer, Metallica and Napster reached a settlement where Napster agreed to block any users sharing music by artists who did not want their music shared. Unfortunately for Napster, this wouldn't keep up for long, and by June 2002, they filed for bankruptcy. And then they tried to sell the company to the corporation Bertelsmann BMG, but that September, a bankruptcy judge blocked the sale when it was discovered that a former Bertelsmann exec had one foot in each camp, in each company. Hmm. Um, This created a huge conflict of interest. Soon after, Napster liquidated its assets, and as you know, it is no longer in existence today. Like I said, this shit gets really complicated. Yeah. And I covered barely anything. Yeah. I'm covering most of the Metallica aspect, and still I'm barely touching it. And this went on for years, Like two or three years. It went on for a really long time. So, just imagine that. You have a way to download... All the music you've ever wanted for free, any artist, any genre, any country, it is all yours. And then a multi-million dollar band doesn't like that this has happened and tries to put the kibosh on it. Needless to say, many would not be fond of this band anymore. Specifically Lars. And that's precisely the backlash Metallica now had to deal with. They got a lot of backlash for this. In interviews since day one, Lars explains that no, it is not about the money. It was about the control. The fact that they no longer felt that they had control over their own art. They were never asked if this was cool. Their music was just tossed around out there for the masses. Metallica is actually known for letting people come in and record their live shows to distribute for no cost. But this is a bit different because this is perfect copies of their studio creations. So, after doing all this research, I've decided that I'm inclined to believe this is the truth. Because let's look at the facts and the feels. Mainly, Metallica has no chill. Yeah. Especially Lars and James. <laughs> oh, yeah. They will go to 11 in a fucking hot second. They About anything. Anything. Anything at all. And I can imagine that if they saw this, they immediately think, Oh, shit. And they've even said, somebody's fucking with us. Somebody's fucking with our shit. We're going to fuck with them back. And that's, you know, it's a street fight mentality. That's how they've described it many times. They immediately just go for the jugular. They don't even stop to think for a hot second. Like, oh, well, is this the right idea? They're like, no, 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 fuck you. Yeah. And even if they had a moment to sit down and really think about it, by that time, the damage is already done. Right. You've already acted on fucking 11 this whole time. Yeah, you got to keep going. So you got to keep going at 11. Yeah. And it's it's really funny, too. There's a lot of interviews and a lot of just reflection on it now. But if you watch the interviews from back in 2000, 2001, especially with Lars, there's one on... What's his face? He is a creeper and got fired. Charlie Rose. He... <laughs> <laughs> he is! He got yeah. fired! He's a creeper! Yeah. Um, uh, Charlie Rose had an interview with Lars and Chuck D., Mm-hmm. and Chuck D was on the side for Napster, and Lars was on the side against Napster. And Lars is coming at it like, you know, we didn't get asked if this was okay. We didn't get asked about this. And 
with the music industry the way it is, we're losing more and more control. Whereas Chuck D is like, well, no, with the music industry the way it is, this does give artists more control. And now more people are going to hear your music. And right. it, it, there is the argument that's definitely to be made that this is a good way for them to get exposed to music. Right. I was just thinking the same thing. Like, file sharing does a lot for newer bands mm-hmm. and bands that don't have a lot of exposure. Yeah, indie bands. Indie bands and... Underground rappers. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, and... the, the internet is very helpful to these. Right. But you can also... I feel like, too, and there have been articles and just in general stories come out that say a lot of indie artists are have gotten boned. Like, oh, we'll give you a cut, but it's not enough of a cut. Right. But you're so desperate that you're just going to sign it away. You don't care. But it's just... It's interesting watching the interview... Because digital downloading does become a big thing and it does affect them. At the end of the day, watching it almost 20 years later, it's so funny to see, oh, this is, has a huge ripple effect. Yeah. And I think both sides saw it and just embraced it in different ways. Yeah. So. It's a pretty interesting dynamic between those who are relatively huge uh, musicians who, they, they don't really need the exposure, but... It's the principle of the thing. Right. And then you have indie artists who can really use the exposure. Exactly. And that's how they get known. That's how they get more fans. Right. So it's it's easy to... It, I don't know. It's, it's easy to see both sides, but also it's difficult to see both sides. Right. Every, both sides have a good argument, basically. Yeah, no, and I totally agree with that. And it's funny, too, because Metallica's are actually huge supporters of Spotify and other streaming networks. They love it. They fully support it. They've always given them their catalogs. Like, yep, take it. It's fine. So that's another reason why I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was a control thing. Yeah. And they even said, if Napster just asked us, we probably would have tried to work with them. It just sucks because I think Lars in particular went about it the wrong way. Oh, 100%. Completely the wrong way. like, I personally have come to the conclusion that they aren't necessarily in the wrong for getting mad at the whole Napster situation. I don't think that that was necessarily the wrong thing to do. It's pretty fair for any artist to be taken aback by this new way to distribute discover music. Again, they, the minute it happened, they're like, this is going to change the industry forever. I mean, if you look at it in another way, for instance, if an artist creates a masterpiece painting and then all of a sudden, this other company decides to reproduce their their painting mm-hmm. in mass, right? And just give it away to people. And it's their original work of art. They spent hours and hours and hours on it. They spent their own money on their supplies, mm-hmm. everything like that. And then this other company is just churning out duplicates left and right. And just giving them away so that everybody can have this painting in their house for free. I would be pissed off too. Well, and that brings up a really good point. How many artists do we know? How many people do we know who are physical artists or photographers? A lot. And how many times do they post memes saying, experience isn't paying me. That's not how I want. I want to be paid. I want to be taken seriously. This is my life. This is how I make money. Right. This is my livelihood. For what it's worth, yes, Metallica, they're fucking rich, but that's still their life, that's still their art, that's still their livelihood, and you can't say, well, my friend who makes a sculpture, they deserve to get paid, but Metallica doesn't. It right. doesn't work that way. And 
honestly, at this point, how many years has Metallica been doing this? Like, at least 20 years at this point. At this point, yeah. So Somewhere around there. It's not like they just snapped their fingers and they were rich. Right. They've been doing this for 20 years. They earned it. They put out amazing album after amazing album. And they were still getting shit for cutting their fucking hair at this point. Yeah. So it was like fresh off of that load and reload controversy with them selling out and shit. So people were just looking for another thing to be Get pissed mad at off them at. About. Exactly. And it didn't help that Lars didn't go about this in the right way. Well, and that's so. what I was going to say, too. It, it was super handled wrong. Yeah. I think it's especially because they went with their fan, went after their fans. If they never got a list of names they would still deal with backlash. Because there was no reason to get the list of names. No, there was no reason to do that. That was that was wrong, you know, and nearly at the level that they, they fucking did, they wouldn't have gotten so much backlash if they yeah. just didn't go after the fans themselves. Yeah. But yeah, even now, they, they do realize their, their decision was a really poor one. The way they went about it. They'll even yeah. say today, we should not have done what we did. We yeah. got too upset, we got too passionate, and that was wrong. But at the same time... <laughs> This has never happened before. The internet, honestly, in the very early 2000s was still a a very new thing. And it was a very primitive thing. And as as teenagers, we were pumped. We're like, oh my god, I get so much free music. But as a Metallica fan, I remember when they did this and I was like, guys, why? Yeah. I can't defend you. I was like, I wasn't even mad. I was just disappointed. (laughs) It sucked. It sucked so hard. But you know what really grinds my gears? Really fucking grinds my gears. Really frost your cookies. Oh, my cookies are frosted and delicious. <laughs> Nearly 20 years later, Metallica still gets so much vitriol thrown at them for this. Yeah. So much. And they were not the only ones who supported lawsuits against Napster. Dr. Dre had his own out. And you know what? When people bring up Dr. Dre's name, you don't hear somebody else yelling about him the next minute. Saying, oh, fuck Dr. Dre, he wanted money. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Like, everybody did. And you know what? There were other artists that came out in ads against the file sharing network, like Alanis Morissette, Blink-182, Christina Aguilera, Sarah McLaughlin, Prince, Garth Brooks, and others. And I'm pretty sure their fans didn't even make an event about burning their CDs like they did with Metallica. And when you hear... When you hear Metallica and you hear it from somebody our age, instantly goes to Napster. Oh my god. Instantly. I definitely had friends who immediately got so mad. I'll fuck fuck Metallica after that Napster thing. And I was like, I get it. And I think they were wrong, but they I think we can forgive them. Yeah. Because I it was just a different time. And they were There was spooked. no precedent for this. There was no precedent for this. You definitely said there's no president for I'm, this. President Napster! <laughs> President I'm Lars. stealing your music. <laughs> there Put was no precedence for this. Well, and also, too, don't think that Napster was super innocent in this. They were making money. It's not like they were playing Robin Hood here. Yeah. They were making bank. So don't always defend Napster on this. And honestly... And it is stealing. I'm an adult now, and you know what? I'm going to fucking say it. Even torrenting all the shit. Guys, it's stealing. It's it's conscious stealing. It's conscious stealing. Conscious stealing. I try to... You know what? I don't steal music anymore. I will pay for it. Especially Not- now that we have this podcast. Whenever we play music, I will tell you right now, I've bought it. This has been paid for music. Yes. And all the music that I have, 
now when I get it, it's all paid for. I know people who are grown ass adults older than me who still download music illegally. And I look at you and I'm like, but why are you doing that? You're an adult. You can pay for it. I know you can afford it. But you also, just don't want to pay for it. But also internet and cable providers are really cracking down on that shit Ooh, because yeah. I know several people that have gotten letters. <laughs> several letters. I'm not gonna name names. <laughs> not gonna say I'm one of them. Or me. But neither of us are one of those people. <laughs> no, we're not. No, it's not us. What are you talking about? Shut up. Look, we don't buy cable, but we pay for your fucking internet. I pay a lot of money for internet. Right, and it's Okay. Like, hold up. Let's let's talk about how much you have to pay for internet. But I am perfectly willing to go on fucking Amazon and pay for Amazon Music. Yeah. Or that's the thing too. Go and buy the fucking album. Yeah. We pay for Amazon Music. It's a dollar a goddamn song. Yeah. It's fine. If you really want to, just fucking do it. And or go to an old record shop and buy the CDs. And at this point, I listen to a lot of bands that are not super popular, so I kind of feel bad for just illegally downloading exactly it. so i'm an adult don't give I, me the excuse of oh this is how i'm gonna hear about them no nah, bitch we got no, spotify now no you got amazon music you got pandora nah not kid not anymore it doesn't fly yeah like, oh god what 17 year old maggie hates me right now She's like, you sold out to the man. I like to think I that 17-year-old Ashley respects 34-year-old Ashley, especially because my wardrobe is relatively the same, just with less wide pants. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 17-year-old Maggie would definitely look at current Maggie and say, we fucking made it, didn't we? And I'm like, as much as we're going to, yes. As much as we're going Hold to. Up. Hold up. We're not Mary Tyler Moore here. And can I also just... We did not make it after all, but thanks. We made it mostly after all. <laughs> we made it good enough. We made it good enough, enough. oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Freeze, my hand f- freeze frame. Freeze frame. <laughs> but the last thing about this that I'll say that really grinds my gears... Is Taylor fucking Swift? Oh, Taylor I, I fucking immediately Swift. thought of her. Taylor and I'm fucking like, Swift. I'm like, I hope she brings up Taylor oh. Swift because I want to. First of all, I don't like Taylor Swift. I hate I'm Taylor saying, Swift. come for me. I don't it's, like T Swift. The only time you'll ever hear about Taylor Swift on this podcast is when we're like, oh fuck Taylor Swift. Uh, we will never do an episode on Taylor Swift unless we can talk about how much we fucking hate her for an hour, which I would do. Yeah. Anyway, my thing with Taylor Swift is she fucking has fought Spotify tooth and nail. This whole time, Spotify's paying her. So why is she fighting she Spotify? She's not getting paid enough, and she's coming to bat for the indie bands. No, you're fucking not Taylor oh, Swift. Oh, fuck off. It's Stop just, it. Yeah. But you no, know what? I'm Bobby, not even going to... Her not, fucking I'm, fans are like still like, mm, Taylor Swift can do no wrong. She's the best. Oh my God. Fuck Metallica. Really? Because Metallica 100% supports Spotify. Taylor right. Swift does not. And she's not doing it for the little people, guys. She's doing it for herself. Stop. This coming from somebody who gets hundreds of thousands of dollars per performance mm-hmm. at any given time. Yeah. To just, do to, to just show up for about ten minutes and that's about and it. Be Taylor Swift. And be Taylor Swift. Yeah. And you know what? Her music's shit, so that doesn't help. It's fucking garbage. Come for me. <laughs> Um, I don't think we're going to have a lot of people coming for us. On I don't that. know. Now I'm curious. If you would like to come for us, please add us or <laughs> Instagram us or Facebook us. Because I'm really curious now to see if anyone's going to come for us. Though That's our hot take on Taylor Swift. 
Hashtag in rant. <laughs> anyway. Oh, anyway. Moving on. Uh, before I, just really quick before I move off the Napster thing, I will say I got a lot of my information from another podcast. Oh. A Metallica-based podcast called Alphabetallica. And they go song by song. Actually, it's it's pretty good podcast. I like it. That it's, reminds it's me. It's done by a, a delightful British man as well. So he's got a great accent. Oh, that reminds me of the the thriller author that we were talking about a few weeks ago. Yeah, I drink a lot, Ashley. But I she don't know. she writes all of the the thriller mystery books, and they're in alphabetical order. Like M is for murder. Oh my god, Sue Grafton. Yes, that's who it is. <laughs> Our it's next podcast is going to be a Sue Crafton podcast. <laughs> the Sue Crafton of podcasts. I'm okay with that. But yes, they do. Um, they have a very extensive episode. It's over half an hour on Lars versus Napster. So I highly suggest looking that up if you're still pretty interested in this topic. So did you guys think that Lars was the only hothead in the group? Because no. he's not. Absolutely he's not. He's not. So during breaks and whenever there was some extra downtime, Jason found himself jamming with other musicians and creating little side projects. Considering how little say he had in Metallica's music, it was a great outlet for him. And one of these side projects was a band called Echo Brain. Jason truly believed in this band. Lead singer had the voice and together they had the sound. So he went and recorded an album with them. Metallica's management, Q Management, told Jason they loved the band and they thought they could find a way to help him promote the band. And, and even other members of the band, like Lars and Kirk, were like, no, nah, this is good. This is good. You're doing good, Jason. Good job. But then, proud of you. Proud of you. <laughs> but then James found out and he wanted it to be put to an end immediately. Upon this news, management turned around and told Jason, mm, sorry, but we won't be able to help you with any echo brain business. Bye. Oh, fuck off. Yeah. What? This cut deep for Jason. Did James really not view him as a creative equal? Was James really so insecure that he couldn't let Jason do a side project that would have absolutely no effect on Metallica's brand at all? He's a control yeah, freak. Kinda, yeah, kind of. Yeah. 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 Because you're right. James and everyone who gets close to him does say that he has a tendency to, quote, love a little too hard. and Is that what it is? And he'll protect what he loves, but he ends up squeezing it a bit too much. He's Lenny from A Mice and Men. Emotionally, James Hetfield oh, is no. Lenny from A Mice and Men, which I don't know if that would be an insult to him. He oh. might be like, yeah, you're kind of right. Oh. He, that kind of makes me love him. Yeah. But also terrified of him. Yeah, like, I feel like James Hetfield is either fantastic or terrifying. He can only be one or the other yeah. at any given time. There's not, there's no middle ground for that man. Years later, Jason comes out to tell the story from his side. On September 27th, 2000, they went to record interviews for a Black Album Revisited special. And it's here that James confronts Jason and basically reprimands him for doing all this work outside of Metallica. In interviews? No, 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 no. This is so they're all meeting up and they're all just together and oh, they'll okay. do interviews and oh, they do a couple okay, jam okay. sessions. It's just a black album like, we visited. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. I guess I worded that poorly. Bad yes. move, bro. No, no, no. It would be like okay. off stage and okay. off, you know, in between sets and things. He was talking to Jason. All right. Gotcha. Yeah. Basically, James ends up reprimanding Jason for doing all this work outside of Metallica and tells him that other arrangements can be made. And that was the day that Jason knew he was going to be leaving one of the biggest bands in the world. And an interesting synchronicity is found with the date. 
Do you know what it is, listener? Uh, no. September 27th, 1986, is when Cliff died. Oh, did they kick him out? The no, same- they didn't kick him out. He just he knew. Like, that day, he was like, I'm leaving this band. Oh. That's what he said in this interview, that he's like, interesting, it was the same day that Cliff died. And everybody's like, whoa. Weird. Weird. There was a three-month break for the band to deflate and celebrate holidays with their families. And during this time, while Jason was like, yeah, I'm leaving, he really took the time to fully digest this Mm -hmm. before he told the band. Responsible. Right. He did mention it to Cork. Cork? (laughs) I've got my eye on you, Cork. (laughs) To Kirk and Lars. Uh, And both Kirk and Lars were like, Dude, really think about this, though. Do you really want to leave? You don't want to leave. Come on, man. It's fine. Right. In January 2001, he called a meeting and they met in a hotel room. The guys were all there and so was a man named Phil Toll, Metallica's new therapist. Oh, Phil. Oh, Phil. (laughs) So Jason decidedly kicked him out of the room so the four of them could unleash properly properly as in without somebody trying to calm them down yeah they they needed to rage (laughs) he made one last attempt to stay with metallica by asking them if they could take one year off so that everyone could just get their shit together Mm -hmm. arguably so jason could do a little bit of work with echo brain as well but honestly you know he had a messed up shoulder and neck and he needed surgery for it Jason did. Jason did, yeah. And at this time, James was heavily into his alcoholism. Mm -hmm. But the rest of the band rejected this idea, and they, for an hour, maybe over an hour, it was just them fighting, bargaining, and even crying. Like, they were a fucking mess, apparently. All of them say, like, this was a fucking rough time for all of them. So when management came in to the mess that they had become, they kind of were like, I couldn't talk about it. Okay, well, here's all these things you guys got to sign and contracts and paperwork and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, have have this super manic cry fest plus arguing and let's just sign some papers Yeah, afterwards apparently, with nothing resolved. Yeah, apparently Lars was like, did you just hear what he fucking said? He's leaving the band. Yeah. And they're like, no, but you could you all sign these papers? So when Jason Personal left, problems, we don't mm, care. I don't no. know why they're talking like that, but they are. Money, 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 sign here. <laughs> Obviously, when Jason left that day, he knew he was making the right choice. I I understand. Yeah. I mean, you maybe you'll be getting into this. I don't know, but uh, James seems like a pretty big control freak he at is. this point, anyway. And it's really unfair to expect somebody who doesn't have a whole lot of creative input in a band to just sit around and wait for them, wait for you to tell them what to do. Right. You can't expect that. You can't expect somebody who is a born musician to just sit around and wait for you to tell them to play bass. Yeah, or say, hey, do you have any input on this one song that we're going to let you have an input on? Right. Cool. But that was exactly James's problem, and he admits to it, and all of yeah. them, everybody who gets, again, gets close to him knows. James, especially back in the day, he's gotten better about it now, apparently, but he really needs to be in control. He really needs to 
what do you mean you have another band? Does this mean you're going to leave Metallica? What does this mean for Metallica? And he doesn't like the unknown. He doesn't like, yeah, like it something mean foreign shit coming from in. Metallica. But he doesn't realize that. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't mean that Jason wants to do this band over Metallica. Who would choose to do some unknown band over Metallica? Exactly. If you've been in this band for 15 years. Like, that's, that's just yeah. completely unreasonable. Yeah. But... At that point, James just, and especially again, he was deeply into in the boozing. throes of alcohol. I, so I get it. It probably made all of his control problems even worse. Right. Yeah. No, that's that's a perfectly good argument, and all of them agree to that too. So I'll finish up with a little footnote for Jason. He's actually doing pretty great. He owns a ton of land and has worked with a lot of bands since leaving Metallica, including taking Rob Trujillo's spot with Ozzy Osbourne's band during his 2003 summer tour. Another weird basis thing, but right. we'll get to that. Right. So while recovering from more shoulder surgery, he couldn't play bass at all, so he actually learned to paint. Um, he did some work with Lars as far as getting into his paintings and artistry and shit. Yeah, Lars is really into Lars is really into art. But also, (laughs) Jason is a generous philanthropist and an all-around happy dude. And he's never regretted leaving Metallica. And to this day, they are all still close friends. And you know what? Jason's like 55 now. 53? Dude still looks really good. No, he's... You know, it's funny. Kirk's probably still my favorite. And Kirk will probably always be my favorite. But I kind of love Jason now. Jason's my number two and he never was. Now I'm like, oh no, I get it. As much as I make fun of Lars, and as much as I say I don't like him, he's still probably a number two. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that is a solid argument. Like, but guys, also, we can make fun of Lars, and it's so easy. He's like, if I knew him personally, he would be that person that I'm really good friends with, but yeah. behind his back, I'm like, this fucking guy. This fucking guy. And when you get drunk to his face. Oh, yeah. Absolutely to his face, because, <laughs> no, he's just like, I don't know. But Jason even still plays with them sometimes. He played with them at their Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction and on their 30th anniversary. Things are fine. I'm glad they patched things so, up. So, just so, in case you're you're worried... They're fine. Everything's mm-hmm. fine and things are good. It's all good. Can we say the same for Dave Mustaine? Mm, that rhymes. Maybe. I'm kind of proud of that. When Jason left the band, they were a mess. And here was where management decided to film the mess. Great idea. It's a good idea. Like I mentioned in the last episode, Metallica is no stranger to filming themselves. So this wasn't their first rodeo. And the result would become the documentary Some Kind of Monster. One of my favorite fucking documentaries. It's so good. And that it's so bad. But it's it's so good in the sense that you are literally watching a train wreck happening for about an hour and a half. Just living it. It's oh, it's so, so good. good. And not only do you get the shit with Metallica and Jason right after he left the mm. band, but you get sh- Deep shit with Metallica and Dave Mustaine. Oh, it's so good. Fantastic. It's so good. And by (sighs) so good, we mean it's painful. But delightfully painful? But delightfully painful. Delightfully painful. Like, you can't can't stop watching it. You you cannot turn your face away. It's such a fucking mess. It's great. (laughs) So, filmmakers Joe Berlinger and Bruce Sanofsky of Paradise Lost fame which Metallica did the soundtrack for. And if you have not seen Paradise Lost, fucking you need to see it. Wait, which one is that? Paradise Lost is the documentary about the West Memphis Three. 
Oh, That was yeah. arguably my entrance into t- true crime. And in, in high school, mind you. And it's good. That's like the one true crime documentary that every time I hear about it, I'm like, oh, fuck, I got to watch that. And then, like, you get and then I and immediately forget. forget about it. I think it's still on Amazon Prime. So I highly Ooh, suggest I'll it. To, I'll have to find highly that. suggest it. They were actually ones to film this documentary because they already knew the band. So it's like, why not? They started once Metallica began working on their next studio album, but that was quickly put on hold when James went into rehab for his alcoholism and other addictions. Apparently chocolate. <laughs> I read that today. James what? said he was apparently addicted to chocolate, and that explains his portly figure at the beginning of the, the movie, which I was like, bitch, look at me and you tell me about portly. Really? Really? Anyway. Like, that can't... <laughs> So between this and Jason's recent departure, the band's future was in serious question. And I do remember, too, watching the documentary being like, the fuck are you going to do? Can I go to rehab for donuts? Like, I really like donuts. Can I? I kind of want one now that you said that. Right? Kind (laughs) of. So all this is on display in the documentary, as well as the band dealing with their inner beefs being worked on with the assistance of their therapist, Phil. The aforementioned Phil. Inner beefs. Yeah, beefs. (laughs) I like that. They gotta squash the beefs. Like they all have fucking cows in their... their... Oh, God. I just want a taco now. Tacos and donuts. Yes. That's what I need to go to rehab for. (laughs) So they go deep into bad drama, even bringing back Dave Mustaine to talk with Lars about his lingering feelings of inadequacy after being kicked out of the band. And it's real good. It's quite emotional. I'm glad that Dave got the opportunity to see a therapist about his issues. Right. And I think arguably he's doing pretty okay today. He was doing okay the whole fucking time. He didn't realize that. He, I, I'm not going to downplay his inner emotional issues about being kicked out of the band, but he did pretty fucking good for himself. He did pretty, he did pretty okay for himself. And he's got that gorgeous head of hair. Oh God, he still has gorgeous hair. He's in his 50s. You know that bitch is going to have that hair for the rest of his life. Fuck that guy. I want his hair. Well, we might have it if we stop dyeing ours. Never. Arguably. Never. never. I have this gorgeous stringy mane of hot pink hair right, right? now and like, I'm okay with it. I'm doing this nice fun ombre with the dark plum ombre. into, I don't even know, silver pink. Who knows? But I'm not stopping it. Me either. Never gonna stop. Can't so, stop, won't stop. Can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> Tell me what Till to I'm do. Till I'm bald. And then I'll and then buy I a can, wig. Then I can buy a Dave Mustaine wig. <laughs> Hashtag Goals. Excellent. Do they make those? Can we start a line of Dave Mustaine wigs? Oh my god, this is a million dollar idea. All right, million dollar idea. Oh god, we're putting it on the internet. If anybody steals this, I'm gonna be pissed. We will we will shank you. I will find you. And we have a special I will shank you with a prison shank. We'll find one. Christmas tree shiv goes in real clean, comes out messy. (laughs) When James finally gets out of rehab, the band gets serious about making the next album. And our buddy Bob Rock takes over on bass as they haven't gotten a replacement for Jason at this point. Bob and his gorgeous AJ Styles hair. Yo, Bob Rock has the most beautiful. These men, what I can say is they have beautiful hair. James's hair was bad. 
It well, was really bad. Well, it's just a bad. bad mullet. And Lars doesn't have very good hair. I think James could probably grow out his hair no, again, No, I mean, back in the 80s, Lars had that really sweet mm, feathered... But now in 2018? No, no. Oh, no. We talk about their hair a lot. We, need we do. Do we? Because, like, there's plenty of times where men just talk about how hot women are. Why can't we talk about their hair? Good point. I'm going to keep talking about their hair. Hashtag feminism. <laughs> there were actually talks... Well, I wouldn't say talks. There were rumors that Bob Rock was going to take over for Jason permanently, mm-hmm. but never came to fruition. I can't see that. No, I can't either. Because yeah, Bob no. Rock almost seems like their big older brother who just gets really annoyed with them a lot. Like, oh, God, yeah, guys, I come can't, on. I can't picture him um, playing with them live. No. That would be weird. Well, there was an extra in some kind of monster where he did have to do some kind of small live performance. I think it might have been for the Metallica fan club. And they're going through the songs and they're doing Seek and Destroy. And at one point, James stops him. And he's like, you look like you're having too much fucking fun playing this. Stop it. And he's like, he's like, you're playing like running on our way hiding. And Bob Rock's like, but I am having fun. And I, that forever endears Bob Rock into my heart. Yes. <laughs> forever. As a part of his recovery, James doesn't want to be as intense about the length and timing of their sessions, so they only record from around 12 to 4 p.m. every day so he can spend time with his family. This raises tensions in the band more, Uh. though, as they feel they can't do any work when he's not around, and they fear the album's never going to get finished. Specifically, Lars. And Bob. Both of them would keep trying to do work behind his back. But but in the And James would come be like, are you guys doing work? I'd be like, no. But in the movie, that's, like, all Lars fucking talked about. Our, my favorite, like, extra clip from the movie, or excuse me, the documentary, was the when how we got the name Lars Bullshit Sandwich. Oh, is, this, is this what he was Ulrich. talking about for the fuck? <laughs> all right. <laughs> because I'm pretty sure it was because James needed to leave. Right. Because it was four o'clock. Right. He needed to fucking go home and be with his family. Right. And uh, Lars threw one of his infamous hissy fits throughout the entire documentary. And everybody, or James left, and Lars was like, no, everybody get out of here. Get out of the room. So everybody leaves the room, and then he picks up his plate full of a fucking sandwich. (laughs) And chips. And chips. (laughs) Sits on the couch and proceeds to talk to the camera while eating the sandwich and the chips. And, and, then, and then Mike is like right under the his Mike chin. The Mike is fucking practically in his mouth. You know what I realized watching that documentary too is that I he's can't constantly chewing gum and constantly, eating. Constantly. Constantly. I'm sorry, and listener, that I had to do that, but I need you to have a sample of what watching that documentary is like. It's the worst. If you have any aversion to people talking while eating yeah. with their mouth open... Don't watch this because you will throw up. Because that's all Lars. I don't even have an aversion to it, and I was over it. Like, he was just (laughs) sitting on the couch, stuffing his face with the sandwich and the chips, talking and just chewing with his mouth open and talking at the same time. And he was just bitching about how James always has to go home early. And was he saying, like, I'll just eat this bullshit sandwich by myself? (laughs) He was just talking about how bullshit it was. He's like, just. Like being by myself, <laughs> stewing in my own anger. Yeah, that's right. Be here alone. My it's anger. Fine. It's fine. Anger. 
Oh god, they're oh gems Bullshit all over the sandwich. place. I cannot wait to post all of the memes that we have. Yes. We have a lot of memes from specifically some kind of monster, and You're- I am very excited about posting You've made them. some fantastic memes. <laughs> I'm very proud of them. I'm sure nobody's going to understand them, but... Unless you've watched a documentary, in which case you will. Yeah. Or if you just know Lars. <laughs> but this time around making the album, everyone is putting in their input. So this album is a true collaborative effort. And like you were saying, this documentary overall is just hilarious. It's a good watch. You know, you have, yeah, the bullshit sandwich moment, but my favorite is an extra from Kirk's birthday. Oh, when, God, this is the best. When they threw Kirk a birthday party and it was Hawaiian themed and no one told <laughs> Lars to wear a Hawaiian Lars. shirt. And Lars is bitching about it to fill the therapist. He fucking and goes it, outside and just bitches about how nobody told him to wear a Hawaiian shirt. And he was really shirt. mad. You know, no one's ever thrown me a Danish birthday, but my favorite <laughs> line in the whole world as he just stops and he's kind of looking and he says, you know, life's just a constant birthday party for someone else. And I was like, it kind of, it's hilarious and true. And then he says, life is just a limp dick with the occasional blowjob. So good. It's like he's on the cusp of being really deep and thoughtful, but it just falls a little short. And then he just thinks about blowjobs and it just falls apart. And then he starts chewing into the mic and you're like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> and fast forward. And scene. Another great part of this, too, is towards the end, they have to kick their therapist Phil out, basically, because he started acting like he was part of the band. He which, did! if you've uh, ever watched Death Clock Metalocalypse in the season one, they really parody this well with the banana stickers. Oh, that is such a good episode. So good. <laughs> and t- nowadays, if you ask the band about the documentary, James says, and he says it's pretty true for the rest of the band, they're all pretty uncomfortable watching it, because this was arguably them at their worst. Right. He says, you know, I learned a lot, but I'm also awful. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Another thing that you get from the documentary is seeing Metallica once again get a new bassist. This seemed to be a bit more pragmatic, yet easygoing, more so than the last time. It seemed like they had a lot of fun. Yeah. It was like a big party and everybody just kind of... And everybody's invited. Jamming with them. Yeah, just jam. Let's have fun. They end up choosing Robert Trujillo from Suicidal Tendencies as well as Ozzy Osbourne's band. Kirk said of Rob after their jam session that he hadn't heard some of their songs played that way since Cliff, so this guy's getting high praise off the fucking bat. Didn't and he want to play Battery? Yeah, like, he right did play Battery, bat, and, and they're like... And they were like, you you want to play Battery? As someone who's learning bass, I think it might have something to do with the fact that... So Jason is a bass picker, whereas Rob fingers the bass. <laughs> but so did cliff yeah and i i personally find that the pluck method is better than the pick method yeah but that's just me being a i've played bass for six months and i'm gonna tell you how to play bass snob <laughs> and on my birthday in 2003 they actually offered rob a million dollars to join metallica to prove to him that they were serious all right they're serious. So a funny story about Rob's audition. Apparently he went out with Lars the night before and ended up with a hangover on the day of his audition. And he was nervous with the newly sober James there, knowing that the last thing he'd probably want is some guy with a hangover trying out for his band. Despite that, he still aced his round of auditions. And James would actually later tell Rob that he makes them play better. Considering the first time around, mm-hmm. James kicked out a dude just for having fringe on his boots. 
understandable when that James he would, was drunk. When James was drunk, understandable that he'd be a little bit nervous. Yeah, gotcha. That's fine. I feel you, bro. Rob Trujillo or Roberto Augustin Miguel Santiago Samuel Perez de la Santa Concepcion Trujillo Perez Cruz Batista. For serious? I am for oh fucking serious. I checked Wikipedia, MetalloWiki, and just anything I could. This is his full fucking birth name. That's not a name. That's a full Wikipedia entry. Exactly. He was born in Santa Monica, California, and his mother raised him on Motown classics like Marvin Gaye, James Brown, and Sly and the Family Stone. Well, she made up for the long name. Right. So good for her. Some cool music. But his hero growing up was Jacko Pastorius, the bassist of jazz fusion band Weather Report. At age 19, Rob went to school to be a jazz studio musician. However, once he developed a love for hard rock and metal, that was his path to follow. Hmm. So that's where he ended up. And these weren't the only gifts that Metallica came bearing to their fans. They also delivered their eighth studio album, Sane Anger. Ooh. Uh, the album was Can received. We just skip over this. It's, it's quick. You know, right. it's like a band-aid. I'll treat it like a band-aid, guys. Just rip it off. Ugh. The album was received and still stands to mixed reviews. Some find it to be a raw and aggressive look into what the band had to deal with at the time. Bob Rock said that they wanted the album to be stripped of the usual polish they put on their albums and instead sound like a band jamming together in a garage. Well, they got that down pretty good. But not in a good way. Yeah, no. So I've, I've only really listened to this album uh, once or twice all the way through really um because i i can't i can't the, it's not easy so when did this come out they were 2003 but they recorded it over like two years mm-hmm. before that right half two years so this was like the the america was in the throes of the new metal mm-hmm. garbage mm-hmm. which i fully admit i listened oh. to at that point oh a hundred percent i was all in that new metal yeah. garbage to me St. Anger sounds like Metallica was listening to a whole lot of Slipknot and was trying real hard. Real hard. Real hard to do the Metallica (laughs) version of Slipknot. The drumming? Woof. Woof. So when I listened to St. Anger again, I wrote down my thoughts at work. (laughs) First I said, James's vocals don't seem up to the usual snuff. Mm -mm. The songs feel disjointed like an angsty stream of consciousness or a hodgepodge of music bits thrown together. The ringing snare drum and no guitar solos at all. You just described every Slipknot album in existence. Weird tonal (laughs) shifts. And how do you have an eight minute long song with no guitar solos? Oh, God. How? How? How do you do this? How? And also, the lyrics were fucking horrible, too. Lyrics were just very... I get it. You were raw and you were in a place and you're trying to... You're trying to express that place. It's like when you're in high school and you try to write poetry. He said, my lifestyle determines my death style. Do you remember in the documentary when they came yes. up that line? They thought they that thought was the fucking was brilliant. brilliantest. And I'm like, no. And I, they had, like, their dry erase board filled with, like, random lyrics. And I remember, like, pausing it to read it. And I'm like, (laughs) 
every single one of these sounds like a really angsty teenager that listens to a lot of Slipknot. Well, and I remember seeing on the whiteboard their ideas for album names, and one of them was, I am my own best friend. And I was like, that's what you probably should have gone with. Yeah. (laughs) I am my own best friend. I am, though. They should have gone with something that excuses the entire album and, you know, gives everybody an explanation of why it's so terrible. Right. And... Everything that we've just said, most of the critics have agreed with. That's yeah. pretty much the general consensus on the album. Some people love it. Some people arguably do think it's a great album. And I don't think it's the but worst you know that they've put out. Those are the kind of people that still really think Crazy Town was a great band. Is Yuma that the Butterfly. Guys like, Sugar, baby. baby. Come, my lady. Come, come, come my lady. lady. Yuma Butterfly. Sugar, Sugar baby. baby. Woof. No. Oh, it's so bad. It's so bad. That's the worst thing I've ever <laughs> done in my life i'm sorry that's all right you know but it's the same kind of people yeah it probably is though and even now they admit it's far from a perfect album but at the time they need an outlet for their issues the guitar solos were seen as self-indulgent and not something that really was seen in the rock music at the time it wasn't because it was all new metal garbage mm-hmm. this was the album that they needed to make then Interesting to note, though, that they don't really play St. Anger songs at their concerts. Mm. I wonder why. And this was the last album produced by Bob Rock. After the release of St. Anger, there was a petition signed by 1,500 Metallica fans encouraging them to stop working with him. They basically blame... Oh my god, that is a huge blow to your ego. Right? Well, it's only 1,500 people. But still. I know. They basically... know that 1,500 people do not appreciate me? Oh, my God. Well, think about it in our context. Like, if 15,000 people didn't like us, I would fucking just open the wrists right now. Be like, you know what? This was a good run, guys. Be like, you know what? It's a good run. You're right. You're right. I'm going to go off, go jump off the Mid-Hudson Bridge now. Thanks. It's been a great life. (laughs) Well, they basically blame him for all of Metallica's musical missteps, which is very unfair. Oh, that is completely unfair. They said he had too much influence, which, yes, he had influence. But if you watch all of the documentaries from one they did with Metallica doing the Black Album Mm -hmm. to Some Kind of Monster, they fight him a lot. He's a collaborative element, 100%, but he is not telling them what to do. He is not the... uh sole reason for all of their issues. He was not the sole reason. He didn't tell them to cut their hair. He is certainly not the sole reason for St. Anger being such a shitty album. And I doubt he told Lars to sue Napster. Yeah, he didn't do any of this shit. So chill the fuck out, guys. Bob Rock's a perfectly fine man. Also, in that clip where they were at Kirk's birthday and everybody was supposed to wear a Hawaiian shirt, he rolled up in a shirt with a fucking embroidered dragon on it. So come on. He's a fucking team player. Exactly. I cannot <laughs> fault any man. You know what? Every with group... that hair and a dragon embroidered shirt. Be the Bob Rock be... in your group of friends. Be Bob. Hashtag be Bob Rock. Be Bob Rock. We really need to start starting these hashtags. <laughs> and it's kind of sad. According to Bob, the petition hurt his children's feelings. Oh my god. But Kick maybe in the nuts, Bob. But maybe it hurt his too. <laughs> maybe it did. Bob Rock. Rip Bob, Bob Rock. Bob, Bob Rock, Rock is very much alive. Too. Guys, hashtag Bob Rock has feelings too. Hashtag leave Bob Rock alone. <laughs> hashtag feminism. <laughs> hashtag Bob Rock feminism. <laughs> 
few years down the road, in 2008, Metallica releases yet their next album, Death Magnetic. And this time it is produced with Rick Rubin, and it Mm. is slated for release on September 12th, 2008. However, in France, a record store ended up selling copies much earlier, on the 2nd of September, which resulted in it being leaked online. And of course, journalists and radio stations immediately flocked to Lars for a comment. Oh boy. To which he said, it was only 10 days from release, so he didn't really care. He considered it a victory that it wasn't leaked sooner. It's almost like he learned from the Napster debacle. Oh. People learn and change and develop? From their mistakes. So, hashtag learn from your mistakes. Hashtag free Bob Rock. (laughs) And a pleasant surprise to everyone is that Death Magnetic was a return to form for the guys. They brought back guitar solos, James's vocals were much more on point, and they were dipping back into their thrasher roots that no one asked them to leave in the first place. Right. That's why it seems like St. Anger was such a weird departure, because nobody was asking them to go somewhere else with, with their music. Right. And everybody was mad enough about Load and Reload, you would think... Maybe, like, go more back to Black Album but stuff. Like, even Load and Reload were more true Metallica than Right, they had some Saint bluesy, country-type alternative, but they still had that heavy sound in a right. lot of their songs as well. And the dark subject matter, all that jazz. So, whatever. They get Death Magnetic. They're much more on point in this yeah. one. Uh, The biggest complaint that the album receives is that there is an overly compressed dynamic range that compromised the sound quality and overall audio. It's just the way they recorded it. They said it, like, wasn't as high quality. Yeah, uh, arguably that's on Rick Rubin. Bob Rock wouldn't let that happen. I don't know why I'm all of a sudden just being a total patron saint for Bob Rock right now, but I am. (laughs) But that didn't stop the album from staying at number one for three consecutive weeks and picking up a few Grammys. So good for you. They continue to ride this high with the induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2009. The show was like a who's who of the Metallica legacy. Like I mentioned earlier, Jason came back to perform a few songs. Cliff's dad accepted the award on his son's behalf. Oh my God, kill me. And they even invited Dave Mustaine, even though he technically wasn't a part of the honor, because he really technically wasn't a part of the band during their real studio albums. Yeah. But Dave declined due to Megadeth's European tour. So everything's going pretty good. Again. Good. No, I think at this point, like, I mean, this is 2009. Everybody's like, I think there's harmony now. And this actually may have been one of the doors opening that made the big four become a thing in the metal scene. Starting around 2010, uh, Metallica joins up with Megadeth, Anthrax, and Slayer for the show of the century, calling themselves the big four of thrash metal. Mm-hmm. I want to go to there. I want to experience that. <laughs> I never have, and I'd like to. They may or may not do another one. Slayer is looking to retire. Metallica doesn't want to do it. There's a lot of drama behind that. I'm good with not seeing Slayer or Anthrax. I've never really been into Slayer or Anthrax. Arguably, I like Anthrax. Arguably, I should. That's a weird statement. (laughs) I can be into Anthrax. You know, like take it out of context. (laughs) Saying I like Anthrax is real weird. Yeah, well, I I might need to flag you for some (laughs) some weird activity. (laughs) Um, 
And now I'm like, on a government list. No, you're welcome. Um, I feel like I should be into Slayer, but they're just, just like I should be into Pantera, but I'm just not fucking into Pantera. I can appreciate it. I just don't. I feel like Pantera is one of those bands where I just, I can't like them on principle because I don't really like them as people. Oh. But. See, I know nothing of Slayer. I know more about Anthrax. That's, yeah, I don't really know any much of Slayer. I don't really know their music very well, but I appreciate what they've contributed to the metal scene. I guess That's it. a real diplomatic answer. Right? Hashtag diplomatic answer. <laughs> In 2011, Metallica would bring collaboration to a whole nother level when they made an album with the one and only Lou Reed. Really? Mm. After meeting at a Neil Young Bridge concert in 1997, they had wanted to get together for a project. So when they finally did, it was to take Lou's unreleased collection of songs for a play called Lulu. It was based on two oh. plays by Frank Wedekind? Wedekind? I'm not German. Wedekind? 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 I'm sorry, I'm not German. And in the story, a prostitute named Lulu gets sold into slavery and is killed by Jack the Ripper. So the huh. album kind of follows the story and sounds really interesting, right? Ooh, don't listen to it, though. But it, wait, is this based on actual Jack the Ripper shit? Or... I, I don't really... I didn't go too deep into the lore because of Lulu. As far as I know, Jack the Ripper didn't kill anybody named Lulu? I, they could have just made up a I name. Know. I don't I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, this album is highly panned. Not due to the concept, but due to the stark contrast of Lou Reed reciting abstract poetry over Metallica's unmemorable riffs. That sounds horrible. It's not just jarring to hear. It's overall just not very exciting on either end. Honestly, both both aspects sound incredibly boring. It's like Lou Reed has an amazing voice. I could listen to him talk forever. And Metallica has amazing riffs. I could listen to riff forever. But... It's basically a jam session for both sides, but neither seem to really bring their best to the table. It's it's one of those situations where you have two very brilliant, very amazing, mm. and very dynamic musicians. Right. But as soon as you put them together, all of that uh, exciting, dynamic shit about each one is just completely lost. No, it, it sucks, unfortunately, which is... Yeah, it's like you think two great tastes, the taste, oh god, what did you do? <laughs> it sucks. It's kind of like when you put chocolate and mint together. Mint's not a dessert. Mint's it's disgusting. to freshen your breath, assholes. <laughs> your asshole breath. Your your fucking mint chocolate chip ice cream tastes like toothpaste and dirt. Sorry. It's just the way it is. Things will never be the same. <laughs> That's just the way it is. Mini chocolate chip is really gross. That's just the way it is. Though no matter how much fans did like Lulu, did you like how I just jumped right in there? <laughs> Their visceral reaction was certainly unwarranted. Many threatened death on Lou Reed for working with Metallica. Well, guess what, guys? The internet is a cool place, kids. Guess what? <laughs> Oh. 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 oh, yeah. There's not enough mouth noises for that. <sighs> God damn it. Everyone good is leaving. Yep. 
Well, you know what? Look, here's the fucking thing. You shouldn't be surprised at this point that Metallica is experimenting with someone completely out of left field. You know, like they did the SM thing, load and reload, Saint Anger. You know what? If they want to fucking do, like, here's the thing. I don't like Lulu. I will admit the song Dragon is actually not too bad. I listened to as much Lulu as I could. And if I'm going to suggest anything, <laughs> it would be Dragon. But it's not a good album. I don't like it. But you know what? I like Lou Reed. I like Metallica. I appreciate that they tried. Because yeah. you know what I always say? Trying counts. 2018. Trying try counts. counts. That's our motto. <laughs> for this year just try but you know at this point metallica can kind of do whatever the fuck they want as can lou reed both of these motherfuckers you can do whatever the fuck you want and if i don't like it who gives a shit what i think yeah who gives a shit really they can do whatever they want their record label is going to distribute it and yep. people are going to buy it yeah so you suckers bought it it could be fucking an album 30 minutes of james hetfield farting into a microphone <laughs> People are so gonna I want it. People are you see. People are so gonna people want so it. About it. They're so gonna want it. So it doesn't really. Matter. It doesn't really matter. Nothing else matters. Shut up. Never. You know what? It's sad but true. <laughs> so good news came for the guys when in 2011 they finally bought the rights to all of their music. Wait. Yeah. Wait. The record companies owned it before. So, and that's what happens to most, like, I'm not getting into it. Again, it's really highly complicated. No, but when sense. you are working with a record company, most of the time they own your shit. Now they actually own their shit, though. And they can have. Because honestly, they probably had more money than their record company. By now, yeah. At this mm-hmm. point? Yep. 2011. But now they have what they've always wanted. Full control. And then actually in an interview, James said that they bought their own vinyl press so they can make their own records. So they can what? do whatever the fuck they want. That's amazing. Took a page out of Jack White's book, apparently. What? That's what they said. Jack White makes his own records. His own vinyls. Really? Yeah. He has I his know- own studio and he'll just fucking shit them right out there. I knew he had uh, a majorly extensive vinyl collection. Yeah. And he was like in the process of acquiring somebody else's pretty amazing mm. Uh, record collection. You know what? We should do an episode on Jack White. He we is should. a fascinating person. Jack White's a crazy motherfucker. I love Insane. it. Insane. But I love him. Of course, throughout this past decade, Metallica spent majority of the time touring because they are on constant beast mode when it comes to touring. Also, touring makes you a shit ton of money. Mm. At this day and age, you make more money touring than you do selling records if you are a... Big ass band? No, if you're a smaller band, then oh. you you make much more money touring. Interesting. Because you make a lot of money off of merch. Yeah. Um, you make a majority of money off of selling t-shirts and vinyl records and CDs and stuff. And straight maybe from your you merch buy table. It and in the hopes that you'll run into the fucking guys who are in the band and be like, Can you sign my shit? Right. Yeah. It, because that makes sense. I mean, for instance, Mike, my boyfriend and I went to a metal festival. In Metal Fest. Metal Fest. In uh, Worcester, Massachusetts a few weeks ago. And most of the band members that were in the bands performing that day, as soon as they were off stage, they went straight to their merch tables to sell their own fucking merch. Right. And uh, 
a big draw for that is to be able to go to the merch table and meet the the band members and to buy their merch. Yeah. So if that's a big draw for a lot of bands. you never know who's going to make it big anyway. Right. It's well, a big... How cool is it to say, oh man, I met this band when they were just small little pipsqueaks and now they're fucking big brawlers and I got this t-shirt or right. record or whatever signed when they right. weren't that big. But it's, it's nice to be able to meet the band members that you just went there to see and also it's a good way to get people to come to your merch table and buy shit because that's how you make most of your money because exactly. record labels are not going to pay for your t-shirts and shit that's you. to get made that's you mm-hmm. so you're getting these t-shirts made and then you're selling them for 25 bucks or whatever you're making a majority you you're making a profit from those directly right so a lot of smaller bands make more money touring and playing shows than they do just selling records outright. So definitely it's yeah. And you know, digital music, I think actually affects ticket prices too. Think about how expensive a lot of shows are now. It's because they're not really making money on their songs anymore. So they got to make it up somehow. Right. I mean, that's why we spend $200 for Fleetwood Mac tickets. Worth it. (laughs) Worth it. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag worth it. And a lot of money on Metallica tickets, too. As long as the show is good, which at this point, if you're a big-ass band, you got to put on a big-ass show. Right. And it better be good if I'm paying that much money. Honestly. And you know what? I will say, all the times I've seen Metallica, they put on a great fucking show. They they rock the fucking house down. And they actually even made a 3D concert film called Through the Never. And it goes back and forth between some sweet Metallica concert footage and some movie scenes of surreal adventures of a young roadie trying to navigate through a riotous city. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's actually pretty good. It's, it's not bad. It makes me want to go to a Metallica concert, which I imagine is what they <laughs> want you to feel when you watch it. By 2016, they were at eight years since they released a studio album, the longest they had ever gone. So it was a good thing that they released Hardwired to self-destruct that year. And they got back with Rick Rubin in 2014 to begin their work. For the most part, Lars and James are sole contributors to this album. Rob does contribute to the beginning of Man Unkind, though. But as far as Kirk, this is the first time since 83 that he has not gotten a single writing credit to his name here. And that's, that's because he lost his phone in the Copenhagen airport, which had over 500 riffs he was working on, and none of it was backed oh, up. Oh, fuck. Kirk, what are his you doing? His phone disappeared, and so did uh, his ideas. And this absolutely destroys Kirk. Like, he can't come up with anything for the, ne- for the album. He He's doesn't just remember so distra- anything. He can't. I wonder if half of it was mental, just he was so upset and distraught by it. Well, yeah. And I'm going to throw out there, James throws a little shade at him in an interview about the whole deal, saying he could have come up with something, brought something to the table, and why is nothing backed up, and blah, blah, blah. But he did also mention that Kirk was going through something at the time that was never disclosed. No one really knows. Okay. James kind of alluded that maybe Kirk was going through a bad time. I don't know what it is, though. And nobody ever mentioned it, and I looked it up, and I don't see anything, so I don't know what it was. And, uh... Arguably, I I kind of was thinking about it throughout the week, kind of sh- shifting gears. James and Lars are kind of like the Paul McCartney, John Lennon duo of today. But instead of a Yoko Ono coming in, it didn't. They just yeah. got a therapist and worked their shit out. It's like Can you imagine Be- if, if Yoko Ono never came into the Beatles? Or if the Beatles got a Phil Toll. 
<laughs> if they got a therapist. If the Beatles got a therapist and banana stickers. Why is there no sketch comedy skit about the Beatles doing what Metallica did? It's because we have to do it. Because none have of us are men. It. And we have terrible <laughs> British accents. But, well, the album comes out and it's a success. They really find their way home to their roots in their album. And this is pretty true to form thrash. And it's probably the best album they've had in 25 years. I would say, and I would which, definitely put this over the last four that came after the Black Album. And which album was this? Hardwired. Ah. It's it's actually quite good. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy Hardwired. It's a great album to drive to, which is how I feel about like Ride the Lightning or Justice for All. Mm-hmm. I can pop it in when I'm driving and just fucking go. Yep. So I really like Hardwired for that reason. It's probably, I don't know if it's in my top five, maybe. I don't know. I'd have to really sit down and severely analyze my thoughts on Metallica albums. The lyrics go in many different directions, from drug use to trashing the music industry to songs evoking H.P. Lovecraft feels. And even a song for Lemmy, Murder One is dedicated to him, and the song was named after his favorite amplifier. Oh, that's nice. Fucking, God, rip Lemmy. Hashtag rip Lemmy. Still miss him. (laughs) So what are they doing now? They're touring. When in doubt, these guys are touring. Metallica tours. I'm going to see them in October. I have to give it to them. Uh, They are... Certainly working, a working band. They are a working they band. They are a very hard working band and they're constantly touring. They're constantly doing fan service. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I can't fault them for that. Yeah. I, yeah, they're rich and they do their own thing. But at the same time, I think what they give to the fans, they give with their touring. But they're not just sitting around... Doing interviews or some random television appearances. They're actually still putting out albums. They're still writing. They are still musicians. That's awesome. And they still commit to their passion projects. That's how I met Kirk. Which is why I will never meet celebrities or anyone I consider to be an idol in my life ever. In 2012... When I had first moved to Brooklyn and I went to New York Comic Con and Kirk was there doing autographs and I didn't realize it, but he had put out a book called No More Horror Business. And it's just a whole, it's a really nice coffee table book of just mm-hmm. horror movies and paraphernalia and things that he's collected over the years and he talks about it. It's great. I love it. I didn't realize that he was so into horror. It mm-hmm. was so cool to meet him. But... I was in line and they're like, oh, you got to buy the book. And I'm like, shit. Oh, I thought I could just bring my death magnetic record and call it a fucking day. So I bought the book and I was like kind of grumbled at first, but I looked through and I was like, oh, this is a really cool book. I like it. The line actually thinned out and they were like, we got to fucking hurry it up because he had to go. He had to catch a flight. And I get up to him and I'm just like, you're awesome. Like giving him fucking Chloe face. Like just, Chloe's my dog, by the way. She's she constantly makes, in the state of shock and anxiety. And it's it was exactly the face I was fucking giving Kirk when I met him. I'm like, oh, I think you're great. And he's like, yeah, cool, whatever. And he's just, I don't think he was being dismissive. I know he had to go and I was at the end of the line and he's probably like, yeah, whatever. And I was like, <laughs> and I will never again try to be a celebrity because I get so much fucking anxiety Aww. over it. But I mean... He's beautiful in person. There's a glow about him. But that might like, just be my memories. Like, I don't give a shit about celebrities and meeting them. or No. Because I, I just don't care. 
But the only people that I will feel that way towards are WWE wrestlers that I really like. Oh, <laughs> if yes. I ever met Seth Rollins or Finn Balor, I would or just Asuka. shit my... Or Asuka. No, I think I would be okay with Asuka. Because she doesn't speak that much English? Maybe. Nia Jax, I would lose my shit. Oh, yeah. But... Like, they're the only people I feel like that I would be like, just You're just too hot. You're too hot. You're, you're just too much for me. Too sweet. Too amazing. Too fantastic. And they were just in Albany the other night. And we didn't go because we we're, we're go. saving our schmackles for fucking WrestleMania. We're going to go to WrestleMania. We're fucking going to WrestleMania and we're going to look at so many butts. <laughs> I'm very excited about the butts. We are going to Tina Belcher all over the place. We're I'm gonna very excited about that it. shit. I'm very excited. I, I I just looked up a couple random facts that I thought would be fun about each band member. Oh, just because I was like, oh, what else do I have I can do? Because I've recently been getting into Zodiac and Tarot again. So James was born on August third, which makes him a Leo, which explains a lot. Yep. About his his control problems and his just yeah. He is need a very be... stereotypical Leo. Mm, yes, he is indeed. Um, Both of my parents are Leos. They ooh, were born with, and that's. They That's were, why they're divorced, huh? <laughs> they were born within a week of each other, so. Oh my. This is why my parents are divorced, and also why I am the way I am. My God. <laughs> <laughs> well, James is a reborn straight Also, ed- Also, my dad looks like James Hetfield. Oh my God, that's right! Oh my God, this... Blowing your mind right now. Are you sure now. your dad's not James Hetfield? He could be James Hetfield. Your dad's James My Hetfield. dad also plays guitar, so. Hmm. You're like his secret life. Yeah. I like it. Uh, this is my dad's alternate universe. Oh my god, I love it. If your dad just got into Metallica. Oh man. James is actually a reborn straight edger with a tattoo of two razors forming an X at his wrist to symbolize this. Oh my god, stop. Well, I guess when you stop drinking, you gotta find something. But he keeps bees! You know what? You know what's weird? It's like, James Hetfield is me when I was in high school. It's like you guys are switching roles right now. We are. Oh and he looks like my dad. This is blowing my mind right Someday now. Someday you're going to meet James Hetfield and be like, Daddy? <laughs> Papa? <laughs> are you my daddy? He's like, no, I'm not. I am not your dad. Get away from me. But how do you know? <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. He keeps bees. He lives in Colorado because it's way more laid back. And that's where his wife is from. Mm-hmm. He has a beautiful farm. And he keeps bees. I just really like that he keeps bees. And I'm going to keep saying he keeps bees. But you know what? He's bees! Doing, but he's doing a great thing for the environment. He is, though. Good for him. And then we have Lars, who was born on December 26th, making him a Capricorn. Like me. Yeah. He's three days. His after birthday you. is three days after mine. And several years before yours. Yeah, oh, yeah. Several, several. Several, several. The, the most interesting thing about Lars, I mean, he likes art and shit. And you can see that in his, the... Some kind of monster documentary. But he's good friends with Noel Gallagher from Oasis, which might explain some things. That explains a lot. I could totally see them being Biffles. So um, there is a, a documentary, uh, I think it's, it's on Amazon Prime, I think, called Mission to Lars. Stop. Have you seen it? No. Oh, my God. What? Oh, we need to Why watch Why did you this. tell me about this one when we started I, I thought you knew about That's it. That's fair. I, as much as I make fun of Lars... And I I watched this documentary pretty soon after I watched Some Kind of Monster. Some Kind of Monster made me just make endless fun of Lars. Oh, yeah. But Mission to Lars is actually an incredibly sweet 
documentary and he is fucking awesome in it. Okay, so the whole premise of this of this documentary is that there is this man in England who has fragile X syndrome. I don't know if you know what that is, but it essentially he's like a 40 something year old man, but he essentially acts like I want to say like a severely autistic uh young teenager. Okay. He's very sensitive to the environment around him. He has, like, the mind of a very young child. And he lives in this home that is for people that are similar to him in England. And he has, um, I think, an older sister and a younger brother. Wow. He has two siblings. And he is obsessed with Lars and Metallica. It's okay. He absolutely (laughs) loves them and has for years in particular Lars. Lars. All right. Loves him. So the sister kind of spearheads this mission to get him to meet Lars. And the brother helps. The brother's like a filmmaker. I think she's a journalist. And they didn't, they never really connected with their brother with the fragile X syndrome because he was always in this home. They visited him like once or twice a week and that was it, but they never really connected to him. So this was their opportunity to connect with him. So the whole movie is them getting on a plane, somehow getting him to be okay with being on a plane, going to the United States, getting in an RV, driving across the country and Finally getting to a show and meeting Lars. Oh. And they finally do it. It was just like this hectic bullshit trying to get to Lars. And they finally meet him. And Lars is the nicest person ever. God damn he is it. so fucking sweet. God damn he it, takes Lars. his time. He is super nice to this dude and his sister. And it's amazing. And I'm like, well, fuck. And now I love you, Lars. How do you how you do this, Lars? Yeah. And the whole time, Lars is chewing his mouth open on a piece of gum. Hey. The whole fucking time. I'm Lars Ulrich, it's nice to meet you. The whole fucking, whole fucking time. time. Ugh. All right, Lars. I'll give you another chance. You got to watch it. It's super good. I will. I just gave a way too long description of it. No, I like it. I like it. I'm excited. <laughs> Well, so moving on to Kirk, he was born November 18th, which makes him a Scorpio and explains a lot. That explains a that lot. That his, like, he's, like, easygoing and fun, but super sensitive. Silent intensity. Yes. Silent intensity. Actually, he's a cusp. So, Ooh, I mean, so are he's, we. A Libra, he's a Libra Scorpio cusp, which Ooh, oh, he's, boy. like, real cuspy. <laughs> um, what's really fucked up and really traumatized him as a child he watched his neighbor rape his dog. I'm sorry, what? Yeah. I read that and I was like, what? Wait, Kirk's dog? Yes. He was like 11 and his neighbor was like, I'm going to fuck your dog and just did it. And like, 11, like, think about like if you're 11 and you see that and you're like, what the fuck do I do? And he's like, I kind of laughed. I kind of cried. I didn't really know. And I just took my dog home. That's Shh. fucked up. Yeah. That is so fucked like, up. Sweet baby Kirk. I would just take him on my arms. But oh, sh- 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 oh, sweet baby Show Kirk. me who did this. I'm setting him on fire. Who hurt you? Who hurt your dog? Who hurt you? You don't know what pain is. The dog knows what pain is. This kid won't soon enough. Also, what well, funner things are his hobbies include comics, collecting horror memorabilia, like I mentioned, mm-hmm. and giving a shit about the environment. He actually really wants to get into a Twitter fight with Donald Trump and tries to instigate it. it. He tries to instigate him. 
Trump doesn't know who he is. Trump doesn't know who he is. (laughs) What? (laughs) And then there's Rob, born October 23rd, making him a Scorpio. Oh, boy. I know, two Scorpios. Two Scorpios, a Capricorn, and And a Leo. Leo. God damn. No wonder they got got hot heads. Yeah. Because you got, like, two Scorpios who are like, we're fine. Until we're not. Yeah. Well, Rob was actually in an episode. And then you of- got a Leo who's like, nothing's fine. Ever. And Nothing's then a Capricorn is like, nah, Channeling it's- fucking Liv Tyler and Empire Records, stabbing the oh, yeah. cut out of Rex Manning. <laughs> Nothing's ever fine. That is what James is like. I like it. Well, Rob was actually in an episode of Chips back in the 80s. Good for him. And last year, his son Ty played bass on tour with Corn at only 12 years old. I mean, playing on stage with a band at only 12 years old is something to brag about. Not with Corn. <gasps> Damn. But not with Corn. Damn. Damn. No, seriously, that's a burn. I don't know. I think I'm impressed. I'm impressed, Ty. Hashtag. I would be impressed if he was playing at 12 years old with Corn in 2001. All right. Uh, Just like, so Dave Mustaine is a Virgo, which explains some things. He's so sensitive. So sensitive. How dare you insult me? That water sign, though. Well, Virgos are Earth. I thought they were water signs. Virgos are Earth. No, they're not. Yes, they are. What? Maybe. Oh, it's a water bearer. You're thinking Aquarius. Nope. Yes. Virgo! No, oh my god. <laughs> this is not the time nor the place to go into astrological <laughs> debate. But you know who's a Pisces? Jason Newstead. Aww. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I feel good about myself. That like, explains some things. I, I, maybe. I don't know. But surround so it all up, you know, there's lots of Metallica. There's a bajillion fucking layers. They've been around for fucking ever. They've been active for fucking ever. There's a lot of death, a lot of fighting, a lot of alcohol. But also, there's a lot of amazing music. And for me, there's a lot of fucking awesome memories. I have so many memories that revolve around Metallica and their music. And whether you love them or the Napster thing made you walk away, which to that I say maybe reconsider and just try to dabble again. Because I don't think it's a good enough reason to hate them. Even if you only listen to... Like, pre-2000s right. Metallica. Just still do it. Yeah. You know, you can't deny the fucking mark that they left in music. They are a huge part of it. They still are. And good for you, Metallica. Good for you. Proud give, of you. We give you the little clap. Yay. Yay. <laughs> so that was rock candy for this week, guys. Thank you all for tuning in. We dealing really... with our two-parters. Yeah, dealing with our two-parters. We I got... hope you enjoy them. If we... you don't like them, you can let us know. And too bad, because we kind of have another one coming yeah, we, up. Yeah, we so. have kind of. Yeah. And we're not going to tell you what it is. You're just going to have to figure it out or listen next so week. So shove some metal up your ass, because whatever. Metal up your ass. <laughs> All right. I love it. Go visit us on our website, www.rockcandy.com. From there, you can just, you know, comment on episodes or even email us and tell us if you love us or hate us. Uh, You could also tell us if you love us, preferably if you love us, by leaving us a fantastic five-star review on iTunes. Also, I'm I'm fine with hate mail. I will handle it. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, like, (laughs) 
Yeah. We'll handle our shit. It's fine. And then also follow us on the other things, which are Facebook and Instagram at Rock Candy Podcast and Twitter at Rock Candy Pod. And those are the internets. That's what the internet is, kids. We also have a Spotify, and I promise this week I'm going to make a Metallica playlist. So if you don't know a lot of Metallica, we're going to help you with that. We We got got you. you. (laughs) Jinx. Jinx. And with that, party on, Ashley. Party on, Maggie. And party on, you crazy kids out there. Bye. Bye. I don't know. I felt right.